with apparel, I think you do need humans. And the problem that Stitch Fix has run into is that those kinds of ludicrous suggestions that the bot makes, that if we know it's a bot, we just sort of roll our eyes and move on. A lot of customers think that the humans are making those suggestions. Hi, I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Ben Unglesby. We're senior reporters with Retail Dive, and this is our podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends. And talk about some of the things that don't always make it into our stories. This is The Backroom. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Backroom. We are talking about Stitch Fix today. Our senior reporter, Daphne Howland, has been all over changes that have been happening at the company lately and where the company is going from here. Daphne, why don't you start out just by telling us, you know, in your mind, what is Stitch Fix? I mean, they're a complicated entity. They're not a retailer in the traditional sense. What are they? Oh, I think as of this week, they might be a retailer in the traditional sense if you count e-commerce as traditional now after, you know, more than 25 years of Amazon. What you're getting at is, it was a couple years ago now, not even, their chief operations officer at Stitch Fix was at the big show, the National Retail Federation in New York, and basically said, yeah, we tried stores, we tested it, they're, they're not for us. So. They are e-commerce only, and their whole setup is humans and algorithms determine all the essential things based on the information we have from you, from taking a quiz and some interactions with stylists and past purchases and past returns. And, you know, it's this whole subscription thing. If the client keeps all five things, they get a 25% discount and they get to keep their $20 styling fee. If they don't keep anything, they have to give up that styling fee. If they keep one thing, they can put the styling fee toward that one thing. But my guess is that subscription box model, which you can imagine invites all kinds of logistical nightmares. How do you make sure that Five items get put into one box, heavily personalized to a client. The company is picking out these items. The client isn't. Already, there's a high chance that stuff is going to get returned. But if you can't drop ship it, if you know, if you order five things from J. Crew or five things from Nordstrom, you might get three different packages because these two things might come from one warehouse and this one might come from another. When you're sending stuff in one box, because your deal is that we're going to send you a nice kind of present every time you order from us, you have to either use one warehouse and only the inventory in that one warehouse, or you have to ship stuff from other warehouses to the one warehouse. It's just nightmare that still leaves you open to likely returns because that's what you're telling the client. You know, if you don't like it, you can ship it back to us. Not a surprise then that they decided we're going to just let people shop our site full stop. And so that's what Stitch Fix is now. You can still subscribe to that box, but, you know, listening to their earnings call this week, 
definitely all in on pushing plain old e-commerce. And from what everything you just said, it, it, it seems again like you have a company that is a lot of things. They are a styling service, they're a box service, they're a straightforward e-commerce retailer, they're a logistics company, they're a data analysis company, they're a tech company, all sort of wrapped up under one package. Does that sound? Yeah. I mean, but did you mention fashion? It's That's like the one thing that you <laughs> I was don't say, really... I guess styling service, I kind of meant fashion, but yeah. 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 They're not a fashion company... I mean, they're not a fashion retailer in, in the same sense as uh, as a Nordstrom, or are they? You just don't hear about the apparel and the style and the fashion from them as much as you do, say, if, if you're listening to uh, an American Eagle earnings call or even, you know, Nordstrom, Macy's, they'll often talk about what did well, and they'll also admit to misses. They'll say... You know, flowy tops just didn't sell this time around. We've corrected that. Fashion and just design, apparel design is such a ridiculously difficult, it's just, it's difficult to pin down because there's sort of no such thing. Your preferences change, styles change, people's size changes. If I lose a lot of weight or gain a lot of weight, I might all of a sudden be looking at different styles that I'm wearing or that I like to wear. So there's kind of is no pinning down fashion. And that's sort of what it seems like Stitch Fix has attempted to do. It's sort of fascinating because then if you look at the fact that they've switched from this subscription box idea to just plain old ordering from their site, the way you would order from J. Crew or Nordstrom, what is different about them and why would they succeed any more than anyone else, especially since all their top people, including their CEO and, and their product manager, you know, their product chief in the C-suite, who I think would be equivalent to the chief merchant at a Macy's or an American Eagle, is also very much a tech e-commerce focused person. So I don't see anyone in that C-suite who is in charge of the fashion side. I mean, Stitch Fix, when they were founded, Katrina Lake, she wrote once that data isn't part of our culture. It is our culture. I mean, it was a big deal for the company, I think, when it was Eric Coulson came over from Netflix to be head of, I think is head of data science for, for Stitch Fix. And, and it's an interesting comparison just because, net, you know, movies and fashion, they're both, I mean, it's hard to predict. <laughs> it's hard to predict what people like, but Stitch Fix and Netflix both try to do it. One of the big differences, I mean, Netflix is almost purely algorithmic in its predictions of, of what people may watch. Stitch Fix is, is as if Netflix took its algorithms and then added a bunch of like laid off video store workers to, to help people choose movies that they wanted to watch. Stitch Fix is, combines the human and, and data. And this has been kind of their selling point uh, since their founding was they have human personal stylists and they have an excellent data analysis operation. But recently, it seems like we've seen those things uh, maybe in conflict a little bit. I feel like you're sort of 
getting to the crux of the situation. The thing about Netflix is when Netflix suggests a movie to you that you kind of know you'll never watch, basically your reaction is to roll your eyes, you know, even though it might be mildly irritating or maybe amusingly irritating or irritatingly amusing. It doesn't really bum you out. It's just sort of like you move on. There goes that Netflix's bot is way off. Ha ha ha. I think Stitch Fix needed human stylists because apparel is so difficult to interact with the clients and to provide customer service in a way that a store might. You know, a salesperson in a store, a lot of times, especially in a place like a department store or a specialty retailer, maybe less so at an off price store is going to make themselves available to you for some guidance or do you have these in my size? Maybe you want to try in three different sizes just to see where exactly you are with an item or something. With apparel, I think you do need humans. And the problem that Stitch Fix has run into is that those kinds of ludicrous suggestions that the bot makes, that if we know it's a bot, we just sort of roll our eyes and move on. A lot of customers think that the humans are making those suggestions. And so if you've sort of taken your quiz or put in notes that you don't like this, I don't wear skinny jeans, I have enough sweaters, whatever, and then the bot just kind of stubbornly comes up with stuff, because a lot of customers don't understand that it's the algorithm making that mistake, it's it just you just resent a person for not listening so much more than you resent a bot. And yet Stitfix is not really being clear about when recommendations are being surfaced by their algorithm. I feel like they should almost name their algorithm something. I mean, I think it has an internal name that the stylists use because they depend on the algorithm to some extent to inform themselves about every client. But when the algorithm is working on its own interfacing with the Customers, I, I almost think they should name that something so that the customers understand the difference between what the algorithm's up to and, you know, what the humans are up to. Not that, you know, Stitch Fix is going to come to me for advice or anything, but this came up when I talked to Jonathan Zhang, who's a professor at Colorado State Business School. He's studied Stitch Fix for pretty much their the 10 years of their existence. And studies customer behavior in stores versus online and feels very strongly that transparency around here is just to the benefit of the company. What would you call the algorithm if you're in charge? Oh, Should it have yeah. a name? Should it have like a human you name? Know, or would you go a different direction? I mean, I don't know. Do we know any? I think the closest thing to you know, actual interaction personalization is maybe that Microsoft Word paperclip. I think that thing actually has a name, but I don't know. I've got three kids and a dog. I, I'm all <laughs> done naming things, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Where do the human stylists rank in the company? Well, if you ask the human stylists, and I've actually talked to a bunch of them on background and, and on the record, but no one has been willing to give me their names because they're just afraid of putting their jobs at risk. 
but they feel a lot of these frustrations. They're being given less time to get their work done. It seems like the company is trying to make that whole human part of the business more efficient. They don't think the algorithm is ready and yet the algorithm is getting more jobs basically it's doing more of the work and, and they're getting blamed for it so less time sort of less transparency about what's going on with the algorithm more frustration that they're hearing and other weird things that happen like stitch fix will actually post things on social media you know pictures of items and Customers will respond, ooh, I like that. I need it for my next thing, for my next box. And the company will respond or their social media team will respond and say, yes, we'll let your stylist know. But the stylist might not have access to that item. And in some cases, they tell me it's not even really something exactly what Stitch Fix sells. The stylists are in a tough position and there was this whole downsizing, but it appears to be quite a few and maybe they simply don't need as many because they want more people to just fire up the Stitch Fix website and browse and buy directly. At which point they would become just a more run-of-the-mill e-commerce retailer. I mean, the company has worked so hard to tell me how their personalization remains differentiated because of their algorithm. But honestly, in this day and age, if you go to any kind of e-commerce site, you're going to get recommendations from anybody. This is what you last looked at. You might also like this. In some cases, you can search for your size, your preference, color, take parameters away, put parameters in. It doesn't take that long to do that. It's not, it's not a mysterious path to let a website know kind of what you're looking for. So while Stitch Fix may, you know, Stitch Fix has put 10 years into this algorithm. It's constantly evolving. They have this algorithm tour you can take and it seems very intricate. But as far as the consumer is concerned, I'm not sure that their level of personalization is all that different from what you can get elsewhere. It really sounds to me like Stitch Fix is now an online department store and department stores are not the most cutting edge retail model. Daphne, how does one become a Stitch Fix stylist? What, what is the background of, of the folks who work on the human end of the, the styling service? It's not like I've talked to them all. And I think at last count, there were about maybe 4,000 or so. I don't know what it what the count is at now. Even that is a lot of people. A lot of people. It might be down to 3,000. I don't know. It's probably somewhere between three and 5,000 people. From what I can tell, they're not necessarily a lot who are from like the apparel or fashion worlds. It seems to be a lot of people who honestly have some interest in clothes, but mostly needed a flexible job. A lot of people were or are mothers with young kids, people with full-time jobs who needed or wanted extra money, people with other part-time jobs who needed more work, students. I think it attracted a lot of people who were trying to, to make a living or supplement a living through the gig economy. I think that was a lot of the attraction. 
having said that, pretty consistently, even from people who work as stylists there who don't have an apparel background, were very keen on pleasing customers and helping them find things. I definitely got a, a sense of very strong customer service ethic. And that's why it actually is a little intriguing to me that Stitch Fix would try to speed them up and make things more efficient because, you know, you can imagine you've worked in retail. If you can spend the time with a customer. I mean, that's connection. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the secret sauce that can make sure that someone comes back, even if they didn't buy something, even if they didn't particularly like the item that you sent or keep the item that you sent that might make the difference for the next sale. I don't know. It's sort of a perennial question. And department stores have done it too, frankly. They've cut down on um, their workforce and they've disrupted their own customer service. So so it's not like that's anything new in retail, but you know, it's not the highest paying job. I think it's about $15 an hour. So well over the federal minimum wage. But these days, I think there are a lot of cities where you can get things close to that. It's somewhat competitive, but less uncommon in retail than it used to be. Would you say from from the stylists you've spoken with, they see their value as more interactive, you know, the interactions they have with customers versus any particular fashion expertise? I think so. I mean, I think part of it is that they're trying to find what the customer is going to like based on this premium data and information that the company has. It's not quite as serendipitous. You're just trying to nail it. So that's a little different of a task. I think that to the extent that they do get it right or work with, have a sense of working with a client to get to that successful point, it's a win-win, right? If the, if the client is pleased, they keep more items from the box, Stitch Fix makes more money, and the stylist gets rated well on her work. That's sort of a win all around. Also sounds pretty old-fashioned in apparel retail. When you have less time to communicate with the customer, it's mainly done through writing notes. If you don't have as much time to kind of explain yourself, if you're not allowed to sort of say, it was the algorithm who's told me that you like blue pants. I'm sorry about that. If you can't explain that, well, the reason I can't get that thing that you liked from the social media post or the Instagram post is because it doesn't really exist as far as I can see. It's not a natural conversation. At least if you're working in a store, you if, if someone comes in and says, I saw this great thing on Instagram, at least you have a chance to look them in the eye and smile and find some alternative. And it's just a little bit more natural of a situation. It's function of e-commerce, really. And to go back to the to the comparisons with media, I mean, what, and we, we've talked about this before on past podcasts, but what, I mean, one of the issues is you can try algorithmically to anticipate what people will like, but one of the, one of the fun things about walking into a store and talking to an employee who doesn't necessarily have all the data on everything you've ever bought before, you know, to be surprised, like, here's something that you might not have ever considered 
but we're two people in a room, I'm looking at you, and I think this would look good on you. I mean, that seems hard to replicate, even when you have a human involved, it seems difficult to replicate with, with the process you described. It's funny because in a way, this is Stitch Fix's customer. They tend to attract people who don't want to go shopping for themselves. And for some people, it's a situation where they don't have the time. Maybe they're a professional. Someone told me, my sister does it. She's a lawyer. She's high powered. She, ha she has hardly any time. She's got the budget. She can only wear certain things to court. It works for her. So imagine trying to please someone who doesn't really know what they want. I don't have a style. I don't know how to dress. Surprise me. I think if you have the right middle of the road merchandise, maybe it works. It's another just, as you say, it's another example of the business model being its own problem. Unlike a lot of e-commerce pure players, Stitch Fix, at least until the pandemic hit, had been profitable, right? They had been profitable. The interesting thing about their situation at the moment is because they are so apparel focused, they didn't really do that well last year, right? I mean, people stopped buying clothes. They didn't need them. If they bought anything, it was sweats or leggings or a new Patagonia jacket because they were spending a lot of time outside. So they didn't they didn't really get to benefit from the e-commerce boom of last year. Now people are buying clothes, but a Stitch Fix is still not rising the way other apparel retailers are. So they don't seem to be benefiting from this sort of late pandemic apparel boom. That just means there's a question if they're going to do kind of regular old e-commerce, this is the situation that they're in. People are not thinking of them as an e-commerce as the go-to when they need new clothes. And yet when e-commerce is the way to shop, they're also not necessarily bothering because I don't know if it's a matter of not having the right items, but lots of questions ahead for Stitch Fix. Thanks for sharing all that. And yeah, a lot, a lot of questions going forward. It is going to be very interesting to see where they go from here. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.